Jazz Heads Radio, brought to you in conjunction with Wakefield Jazz, a lovely little jazz club in Yorkshire. Hello, welcome to another episode of Jazz Heads. Coming up in the show today, we've got an interview with pianist and composer Liam Noble. Performing music from his latest album, The Long Game, Liam's trio, who visited Wakefield Jazz recently, features Tom Herbert on bass and Will Glaser on drums, although you'll hear Seb Rochford playing kit on the album itself. Liam has always been a musician who carves his own path and remains true to his own voice, creating fascinating projects that are full of humour, quirkiness and stories. The latest album is no exception, the trio blending together acoustic and electronic sounds seamlessly. The Long Game is available to buy now on Edition Records. Liam also chooses three influential tracks and you'll hear music today from Miles Davis, Wayne Horvitz and one from The Long Game. Opening the show today you can hear Figfoot by Paul Blay and a full track listing will be available in the description of the podcast. Enjoy the interview, enjoy the music and thanks for listening. Liam. Thank you. Um, it's great, it's great to probably meet you. So just, let's chat a little bit about your most recent album, The Long Game. Mm. First thing I sort of spied about the album was the cover itself. It's got the bridge sort of disappearing off into yeah. sort of that bright pink blossom sort of reminiscent of sort of Japanese possible influence scene. I don't know yeah. where the picture was taken, if it's, yeah. if it's got particular well, there's significance an to you. No, there's an interesting history to that photograph. I feel really bad because I've forgotten the name of the photographer. But he was somebody that works with Edition Records, Dave Stapleton's label, who put it out. And um, they, they just sent me a few images and said, oh, what do you think of all these? And, and I saw that one, and I thought exactly what you thought. I thought, oh, it's, it's got that sort of Japanese thing. One of the tunes on the record was called Matcha Mind, and it, it's all about kind of slowing things down and being patient and and trying to play music where you listen for things happening or you wait for something to happen mm. you know so so somehow sort of expanding the whole space in everything and that image came up and I thought oh that's perfect mm. um, because it's it looks Japanese but there's something a bit otherworldly about it yeah and actually yeah the colour prints <coughs> Yeah. Slightly off or not off, but well, different. Well, actually, that is a photograph of Central Park. Wow, is it? In New York, yeah. Okay. And it's an infrared camera, so the trees look pink. So it's not because, blossom at all. Be, no, it's they're green. <laughs> so, it, so it was like a happy kind of coincidence, really. I just looked at it and thought, yeah, that's great, straight away. Brilliant. Yeah, it's a um, great thing. Really, really striking. Yeah. Really sort of original thing. Um, the title, uh, The Long Game, yeah. you, you talk a lot about sort of, having read about it, sort of waiting for something to happen, uh, yeah. deciding when the time is right for something to happen. Is, yeah, I is think, that where the title um, came from? Yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of things all together, really. That, um, the whole sort of thing of being a musician and having been around a bit now, 
and I mean I don't do loads of albums like I don't do an album every year or two years but I when I do them I always kind of think that it's a it's a sort of definitive thing and then I think oh maybe this that the other will happen and it's a bit like the thing when people pronounce jazz as being dead you know and, yeah. <clears throat> and everybody goes yeah. oh not again you know. <laughs> how many times this century's happened yeah it's <laughs> like you know I started to feel more like having done it for a long time was enough you know mm. and Paul Blay a pianist who I'm a really big fan of he he had this thing about critical protection which was he said that some some musicians were protected from ever having anything bad said about them because they because the critics kind of put them on this sort of pedestal and then no one would dare question certain critics and then they're basically comfortable for life sort of mm. thing and his his thing was that because he put out loads of records and he didn't get a lot of attention it enabled him to work it enabled him to to do whatever he wanted to do so he, he didn't have to live up to a previous record that was a big seller mm. or anything and so I, I started to think about it like that mm. like I, I thought you know I, I'm tr- not trying to do the next big thing I'm just trying to kind of it's certainly soldier uh, on you know? listening to your material it certainly sounds exactly like that there's not you never seem to be trying to do necessarily one particular thing or, or going in a certain no, direction no, no. Sort of, you, you don't knock out sort of various standards albums here and there and what have you it's, it's, yeah fascinating to listen to um, we're talk, talking about the. you mentioned the, um, the what's it called My, what's the track called Micha Matcha Mind Matcha Mind yeah. that's it I mean, that's based <coughs> on a Japanese tea ceremony yeah right? that's right yeah because I think you mentioned mm. that when you are in Leeds a stunning track um, do you sort of write a lot of music with a, with a sort of visual influence in mind like a picture or a scene um, or a, a actually I, I normally don't it was a very uh, it was a very specific thing because we me and my wife went on a on a trip to Japan for three weeks so we saw quite a bit of stuff and, and that kind of was sort of a big influence on my music as well. I've always been a bit of a, a kind of obsessive about Japanese culture and mm. traditional Japanese music and stuff. Um, and this particular tea ceremony, it, it was just such a kind of... It was an experience that kind of condensed a lot of ideas that I'd had about Japanese culture into one thing that was happening, you know. Mm. And, it, and it was... In a, in a way, it was more interesting because it was quite a touristy sort of experience. It wasn't like going to a temple and a proper tea ceremony that takes hours. It was like a potted history thing, and it, you know, it was not too much heavy going. Really. But you could see in this with this woman and the way that she moved and coordinated everything. This kind of flowing, sort of slow motion and I wanted to capture that in the tune so I mean it's quite nice it's quite nice to have a visual idea because normally I just kind of sit at the piano and mess around and yeah things see what comes out 
Yeah, 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 absolutely. I'm sort of fascinated by your use of electronics as well in the album. I think that you've got a wonderful blend between sort of acoustic and um, yeah. the, synths, yeah. the synth sounds and things you've got. Is that something you've enjoyed more recently, or have you always had a sort of side where you like I sort of dabbled in, in it for a long time. I did, in 2001 or 2002, I think, I did a, a kind of one-off commission, which was a poetry setting, Japanese poetry, actually, and, mm. and I used a keyboard for that and then it kind of it never quite took off that piece so I, I sort of abandoned it really um, I, I always had a keyboard or two at home just kind of to mess around on and um, I wanted to basically record something so that it made me go out and gig with mm. it so it made me use it and learn the instrument because it is another instrument and yeah. it does weird stuff you know that you're not <laughs> so many weird prepared things. Yeah. for sometimes yeah. do you like the computer lights just came on yeah <laughs> it's good job on. this isn't telling <laughs> um, do you do you like the sort of laptop um, sort of soft synth setup more than more than hardware things is it or is uh, that just I, I just happened to have alighted on it really yeah because it was cheap you know, it's they like are cheaper, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Main stage, which is what I use, which is mostly used by Christian organists in the, <laughs> in the states. Yeah. I've discovered. Yeah. Um, it's it's basically it's like thirty quid or something, mm. and then you can you can tailor make all this stuff. There's loads of soft synths. I actually use Wurlitzers and oh, Rhodes yeah. samples yeah. quite a lot, and then just use effects mm. and some pedals as well, loopers and outboard effects um, yeah and it's I've sort of enjoyed the process of trying to build an instrument, Yeah. I mean I'm always tinkering around with it, between every gig it's like I'll always add something, take something yeah. out and mess around but that's something as a pianist you don't get to do, you just turn up and play whatever's there, you know yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. and I hope that the piano you've got to work with is up to the job yeah yeah <laughs> Great. Um, I can smell food downstairs, so shall we move on to your three tracks? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So your early influence track was Miles Davis, Someday My Prince Will Come. Yeah, I mean, this this is like a really sort of formative thing. I mean, it was my dad had like a handful of jazz records. He had, I mean, I could have picked any of them, really. Cannibal Adley, Live at the Lighthouse, which I still love. Jimmy Jeffrey trio with Jim Hall and uh, Bob Brookmeyer, Travelling Light, another one that I love. But this Miles Davis, Someday My Prince Will Come, that title track, it was the first time I think that I listened to jazz when I put it on and it had a kind of instant atmosphere. Mm. And also there's a real story within the music. You know, Coltrane had just been fired by Miles and then he came back having come off drugs and all this stuff and he comes in and does this solo after Hank Mobley's solo and it's it's like something from another planet yeah. but still for me my favourite part of the track is the way that Miles Davis and the rhythm section play together mm. Winston Kelly I've never heard Winston Kelly do anything else mm. like, like what he does on that track it's just like so so much space and atmosphere and yeah I mean I think about it a lot 
artist is somebody I've never heard of, <coughs> Wayne Horvitz. Yeah, Wayne Horvitz um, played in a band called Naked City with Bill Frizzell and John Zorn. But mostly what he's done is a kind of... I mean, he's worked with Bill Frizzell as a producer quite a lot on some of his earlier records. And he has a kind of a... It's like slightly Americana, slightly sort of Bartok... Um, a bit countryish, some sort of blues stuff in there, and he's not really a jazz pianist, but he's he's a fantastically original composer, and he was very influential on me. And it, sometimes it's great to find somebody that you think, "Wow, this is amazing," and nobody else knows about it. <laughs> Just your whole you know, secret. So you kind of, yeah. I, I nicked a lot of stuff from him, yeah. and. Uh, and this track called The Front on an album called Miracle Mile, I think it's 1990, and he layers up all these kinds of samples and stuff, and then underneath that he has quite complex harmony. So normally when you hear music that layers samples, it's like bass lines, simple chords, mm. and this is something else. It's like there's a lot of stuff going on, but it's... It's somehow very clear what he does compositionally. You know, he's, he's just got a great kind of precise sort of way of making the lines work together.
And then um, your last track, we've we've gone for the title, or the, not the title track, the first track off the long game, your album. Yeah, um, Rain on My Birthday. I mean, I, first of all, it's a track that I, the title came from a conversation I had with my wife, who um, tells this story about how she, when she was a kid, she got very upset because it rained on her birthday and she shook her fists at the sky. And <laughs> I should point out that she's Italian and her birthday was in July, so it's pretty unreasonable Unlucky. to have rain on that yeah. day. So. Yeah. But it's also, I suppose, from that album, for me, it's the kind of... We always do that track first because everybody relaxes and we just sort of sit on a groove. And nice way to start a gig it's, off. Yeah, and it's, it's quite loose and free and it tends to go down well with audiences mm. and when we recorded it <coughs> in the studio all kinds of things went wrong that we left right. in yeah. and it just kind of has a, it, it has a very particular sound like things happen and like I'd triggered this loop and then something completely different at a different speed came out and you can hear Seb just stops playing the drums, you know, and then we carry on with something else. And it just sort of, for me, it kind of encapsulated what I wanted to do with that record. You know, it was like, okay, something's happened. Let's do this instead. You know, like no, no mistakes, really. Yeah, it's a lovely way of looking at it. Yeah. Thank you, Liam. Thank you for your time. Thank um, you. Yeah. I'd quite happily sit here and chat to you all night, but I think the audience might get a bit cross with me. Enjoy the gig tonight. Thank you so much for Thank talking you. to us. Yeah, yeah. Good luck for everything Looking in the future. Thank you. Thanks very much.
Thank mm-hmm. you.